Okay, good morning everyone. I apologize, we're running just a little behind. A very uh, special Sunday today. Uh, those of you that were at early service uh, got a taste for that uh, already. We have someone in our congregation who is very special to our parish. Uh, his technical title is, is technical the right word? <laughs> Pastor Emeritus. So emeritus uh, does not mean old and falling apart. Uh, emeritus uh, does mean wise beyond his years, mentor to the younger pastors, uh, and a recognized faithful uh, leader in the congregation. So a pastor emeritus title is simply a pastor who retires and stays there uh, at that church uh, and it's a term of endearment and of recognition, and so we are very blessed uh, to have uh, Reverend John Feeney, Pastor Feeney, as our Pastor Emeritus. Let's welcome him today, and I'll give you a little more introduction. He is going to be speaking to you today about his short-term missionary work in the Cayman Islands, and not just his work, uh, but Solveig, you're going with him, aren't you? Yeah. So, uh, and there is work to be done in the Cayman Islands. Uh, there is a great need for the gospel there and word and sacrament ministry, and so I've asked Pastor Feeney to uh, share with you uh, about uh, his work and his travels, uh, which will commence shortly. And then during the services, if you're at late service, uh, we will uh, install him and ask the Lord's blessing upon both him and his wonderful wife, Solve, uh, as they head to the Cayman Islands. One note real quick, as you know, I just came back from the ACELC conference this past week that was outside of Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, I believe your brother, Rolf, was there and his wonderful wife and all of your nephews. I cannot figure out all their names for some reason. I've met a few of them. I think Mark was there. So uh, they talked about the wonderful time you all had up at the lake cabin. And I heard a few more stories about you, John, but we'll save that for later. Um, so anyway, so uh, great blessings. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer and uh, then we'll let uh, Pastor Feeney begin. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you continue to give you to us your word and sacraments uh, that uh, your sheep may be fed and that others through the power of the gospel may be called to faith. We ask your blessings upon Pastor Feeney uh, as he shares not only of his upcoming work in the Cayman Islands, but also that you would bless uh, their travels there uh, as they are apart from us. All these things we're bold to ask through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, maybe to the elders, um, I, I had a... Um, a handout, and I think it's on probably the secretary's table there, and that would be for, I kind of wanted to do, I kind of loud my voice, um, anyway, um, yeah, John 4, yeah, okay, we got it there, but we'll hand, hand that, out. I just wanted to kind of do a very brief introduction uh, to the kinds of people that I am going to be evangelizing. Um, over here, um, they. Um, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what I'm going to be doing, um, and then I, I really do want to do a Bible study today because it's Bible study hour. 
um, but also to a, a Bible study that talks about evangelism. Why, why is it that we are spreading our faith? Why is it so important for us today to speak the word? And, and the greatest evangelist of all evangelists, I think, is Jesus. And I think um, the greatest example of how to do what we might even call cold evangelism is uh, probably going to be the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Um, I want to thank uh, our, our pastors, Pastor McKay, uh, especially here today, uh, for being so open and welcoming to the old goat. Um, the, the barnyard sometimes is not always a place where you keep the old horses or the old goats or the old cows. You usually send them off to the factory where they're turned into glue. Um, and uh, we, of course, have traveled uh, so much that I have uh, fortunately been able to distance myself enough that you guys can see what a wonderful set of pastors that you do have and what great work they are doing here. Uh, certainly an upgrade uh, from... Uh, no, no, it's true. I mean, uh, um, uh, anyway, um, what I'm doing is something that I've been familiar with. Um, and I, uh, this Grand Cayman exercise or this Grand Cayman experience, for those of you that don't know where the Grand Cayman is, you can see up here... Uh, There we go, okay. Here's Cuba and the Dominican Republic and Jamaica and 100 or so miles uh, over the other direction to the west is the uh, Cayman Islands. Fortunately, I think kind of with the configuration of islands that it is, um, it is not as subject to hurricanes as the other places are. And uh, so um, not to say that I'm... I am a, not a religious person, but um, we are really hoping that we don't run into any hurricanes while we're down there. The Cayman Islands, they tell me, is actually not an island. It's actually the peak of a mountain. Um, it is, uh, there's a mountain chain that runs through there almost all the way to Cuba, and apparently if, if it were out of water, it would be as high as the Himalayas. It's about 14-some thousand feet high, and this is just a little peak at the very uh, top. So um, it is, of course, a huge uh, tourist attraction. Uh, there are a lot of people that have been there. How many people have been there? Okay, you, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, one day that I was down there visiting, um, the, the day that I was visiting, that there were over 20,000 people that offloaded from the ships. And that is not necessarily make for a wonderful experience. Um, the, um, the island also has uh, native, uh, native people that have been there for many, many, many years. Sometimes they're, they're, it's a mixture. They had African slaves that were then mixed with many people of British ancestry. And, um, and so that kind of became the native population. Um, they have a lot of problems with getting workers. They're very restrictive about uh, who gets to work in the Caymans, and a lot of the jobs that are there are just, well, a lot of, a lot of the jobs that they really need are jobs like workers, laborers, uh, electricians, plumbers, uh, 
so on and so forth. And so there are a number of people like from Jamaica that will come there. They will work for a certain number of years, and they have to go back again. They only can stay for about seven years on a work visa. Um, I have to apply for a work visa just to go down for four months. Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has laid out some objectives or some goals. It is their witness or their desire to form a confessional congregation uh, in the Caymans. The Caymans has, has, this congregation is an older congregation. It's been there for, for quite some time. They have had some splits in the congregation and very typical of congregations even in the United States today. Uh, there are people who come in and because of it being kind of a remote international congregation, there's always a, a different mix of people that are not necessarily good old Midwestern Lutherans. Um, they are people who come from a different series of backgrounds, and so uh, there are a group of people that wanted to become evangelicals. Uh, they kind of wanted to give up their Lutheran identity, and there was a group that said, no, we want to stay as Lutherans. And, um, and so there was a split that hurt the congregation. It began to grow a little bit more. Uh, the Schwann Foundation, for those of you that have ever had Schwann's ice cream or Schwann's pizza, uh, which is um, Red Baron, um, the, the, Schwanns, um, the Schwanns started off in, uh, actually up in Minnesota in a town called Marshall. Um, there were two brothers that uh, kind of grew this huge corporation, and um, one of them passed away. They're very strong Lutherans. One of them passed away and left a billion-dollar trust for the church, and that was something that funded a number of different projects, and then apparently they were encouraged to go down and to invest in a hotel down in the Caymans, and it went bankrupt, and my understanding is that they lost about $280 million. But this congregation was meeting in that facility, uh, in the hotel, and everybody thought, this is really great. I mean, you didn't have to have anybody sign up. You had people with white gloves that were serving uh, coffee and uh, delicacies and such. And then when they went belly up, when they, when they became uh, bankrupt, the congregation was immediately expelled from the facility. And again, you know, they became, they ended up having to use temporary facilities. They've had, um, they had a pastor that was full-time. Um, they, um, uh, the pastor was told, however, he was the only pastor in the entire staff of the Missouri Synod that was directly funded by the Synod and he, that he did not have to raise any funds. As you can well imagine, it must be difficult for a pastor to raise funds. Uh, if I came to you and I said, I am here in need of you supporting me going to the Grand Caymans. <laughs> um, there are more corporations incorporated in the Grand Caymans than there are residents. It is a tax haven, has been famously known for that. Apparently, 50 of the largest banks in the, in the world are incorporated in the Grand Caymans. Um, some of those privileges are being revoked nowadays because governments are saying, no, I'm sorry, we need to be able to know what the income is of these corporations that are operating in our country and uh, incorporated there. But apparently, um, that kind of, there's a, a twofold strata to the society. There are the super wealthy, then there's the common working people, and then there, of course, are the tourists, and then there's just kind of this in-between little small group which we kind of regard as maybe, you know, the, one of the ladies in the congregation uh, operates a printing business, 
And those kinds of people who are just kind of operating a good business have been there for a long time. They're kind of the base of the little group that is still there. We're, we're attempting to, I'll show you this in a second. Well, these are some of the, it, I, don't, I don't know how the Apostle Paul ever converted uh, or brought his, the, the Christianity to the world without setting objectives and goals. <laughs> um, so you, you understand that. All right. Who rules the island? Apparently, um, this is, they're just everywhere. Um, they, they, they walk around and they, they are in charge. All right, um, pastor who was just there uh, before I was there, um, Reverend Tony Alter, his daughter works for the Synod, and they were short somebody and they didn't have somebody to come and fill in. So he and his wife came from January all the way till about the end of May, and then this young man on the right over here, Reverend Dallas Dubke, um, the son of the other Dallas Dubke, uh, he, is, uh, he came for the summer, he's a pastor in Oregon, but they have targeted him for a long time, uh, full-time ministry. He will have to, however, go back and raise funds for support, and um, he has to make a decision as to whether or not he's gonna stay. And he's single, and there was a, uh, was a, I think that sometimes can be both good and bad. Like the Apostle Paul, sometimes it makes you more flexible. Um, but he is also uh, very, uh, I've had a good conversation with him. He's very, very solid, very, very evangelical, very desirous of, of, um, of, of building a church. This is a temporary facility uh, of the church. I'll show you, I think, a better picture. They, they have a kind of a, they call them the four Lydias, um, the congregation. You know how every congregation has got its core. You're the, you're, I've always thought that the Bible class hour was the core because this is where we ask for volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I have to go volunteer? Well, they, but the four Lydias are pretty much the ones who kind of hold the whole group together and they, they keep it going, especially the lady on the left. Her name is Kathy Fox. She's the one with the printing company. All right, and uh, this is a picture of, um, we, we were privileged. Uh, some of you may know of the company called Beck Seeds, hybrids, Beck hybrids. Uh, Sonny Beck and his wife are both Lutherans, and uh, they bring a lot of their clients down to the Cayman Islands, and when we were considering whether or not we wanted to accept this, uh, this charge, uh, they put us on their private jet, and we joined a bunch of farmers who, it took them about 2,000 miles to admit that they were Lutherans, but um, <laughs> we flew on down to the, to the Caymans and spent a week down there, and this was their, one of their places down there. They have beautiful botanical gardens there, and um, to give you an idea of where the church is located, I think there you have kind of a view of the area where the church is located is right back over here. It's not the permanent church. They're actually renting a community center, but it actually is a, a pretty nice facility. And that's what it looks like on the inside, very simple. But if any of you are sticking around from the days when we were a mission and you remember the setup and the takedown that we had to do, there is nothing that will make a group of people moved to build a new church than to have to be responsible for setting up and taking down every single Sunday. And that's, 
this is where they are at today. Uh, that is the parsonage. It, it is actually pretty nice. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to tell you how many bedrooms we have just in case you decide that you all want to come down and visit. Um, and so we ask you to keep us in your, in your prayers and this, this congregation called Safe Harbor um, as well. Um, I don't know, we're a little caught up in trying to understand just exactly how much of a burden this, this is. Um, it's our desire to make the congregation grow to create a, a bigger base because they need, I mean, every congregation needs, you need almost 60 to 100 people a Sunday in worship if you're really going to be able to become self-supporting, you know, fighting weight. Um, I would say that they probably have a core of maybe about 20 people. Um, the... Uh, the uh, the, I was, when I was contacted by Pastor uh, Charles St. Ange with the Synod, um, their desire was, of course, to see a full-time ministry there. Um, so he came, and it, and it was basically, you're a mission pastor, could you come? And I think with the expectation that a lot of the previous pastors, and there was no, it's not a problem with this at all, a lot of the previous pastors were told, Basically, all you have to do is just preach on Sunday, and the rest of the time is pretty much your own. Um, you know, well, we're not getting paid. We're down there at our own expense, with the exception of the fact that we have a car and we have a place to stay. Um, so you can't exactly come along and say, hey, what do you say you put in 40, 50, 60 hours a week uh, to this ministry? But they want to build it, and so uh, I'm going to go. And then following me, I recruited a pastor out in California who had been the retired pastor of my daughter, magnificent preacher. And so what we're going to try to do is make this into more of a team, a threefold team with Pastor Dubke, so that the, there's continuity, so that we are, we're talking, we're sharing, we're there. people are seeing all of us kind of working together as a team. So we're going to try to do that to try to get things up and going. And then maybe thereafter, depending upon, Pastor Dubke has never started a church before, um, and they, I think they basically have asked me to kind of serve as a mentor to him uh, as the congregation grows and as, as he tries to be able to build it. So that's kind of where we're at. Boy, it's amazing. i got so much time for Bible study. It's really great. Um, any questions that you might have about this? Yeah. Oh, well, the, yeah, the little mission thing that we're going to do. Um, in order to be able to try to penetrate the community, to become known, to be seen, to, for people to be able to be aware of maybe something about us, the, the, the Senate has put a strong emphasis upon the need to do acts of mercy. Now, that might mean going to a hospital, that might mean going to a prison, that might be uh, working with some charitable organization. I'm there for four months and there's really nothing much that I can do. And the people, there's a small, such a small group of people, they don't uh, really have the time. I mean, the volunteer base is kind of small. So what I decided to do is that I decided to say, well, I tell you what, 
for Pirates Week when there are thousands and thousands of people who pour into the island to celebrate the pirates stuff. <laughs> I guess I, they have the carnivals and I mean all kinds of things, the affairs and lots of food. Uh, I'm going to make pizza. And then I'm going to ask that anybody that takes a piece of pizza, that they make a donation to a charitable organization. And so we will become a fundraiser for a charitable organization, but it will give us a chance to be able to be out in the community and letting people know who we are. So um, I, I say that, and then, um, and then Sove says, you know, I think I'm going to be going back to the United States during that week. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens that we do have a grandbaby that's going to be born in November, and so she has, she will probably be back for about ten days. So um, we've already done some recruitment. Um, I've got uh, two slaves over here that we would might be importing uh, into the Caymans to help. We are offering that, if possible, if if you guys would like to volunteer and to come down. We would maybe rent an Airbnb or something along those lines, and then um, uh, about two to three hours a day, no more because of the heat, uh, we would volunteer at this uh, pizza station. And um, if you'd like to come, if you'd like to be a part of a mission uh, program, uh, you're more than welcome to, uh, to sign up. We, I'm not, what I'm doing is I'm holding back and saying, well, we might only because, first of all, I need to know if there are people who would like to go, and then, secondly, we would make those arrangements as quickly as possible because those things fill up. That's a very busy week. So, um, there you have it. Um, can we just take a look at that text? Is that okay? Um, John chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well... Okay, um, the reason, why, why do you suppose that I, want, I love this text so much? Um, there are not many places where Jesus crosses the border between the so-called Jews who are in the church and people who are outside the church. Contextually, Samaritans were part Jewish. And they had a Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, only the first five, that was called the Samaritan Pentateuch, and somewhat typical in the Middle East, something similar to what it is that Muhammad did later on. They had kind of modified the Samaritan Pentateuch to make themselves into the uh, promised children of God. Now, um, it was still was a... They, they were, so they were kind of... They were Jewish. They were kind of Jewish. They had actually been a mixture at the time of the exile. Many of these people had been left in Israel while the so-called upper crust had been deported by the Babylonians. And then they, of course, in true old-time fashion, they would take people from some other part of the country, some other part of the world, and they would transport them back into the area that they had conquered so that now uh, it was just mainly maybe poor people combined then with another group of people who would come in who would be a different ethnicity. And these Samaritans were kind of, they were half-breeds, if you will. Um, Samaritans had had a, historic, a lot of historic conflicts 
um, with, the, with the Jews. In fact, there was a kind of a mutual, such a mutual hatred that uh, there may have been even attempts at, um, at, at the annihilation of the other peoples. Um, they would send delegations to the Caesars and they would complain about the other group. Tiberius, as you perhaps have heard, Emperor Tiberius, he kind of had a short temper and um, he didn't really like being emperor, so he vacated himself to the island of Capri. And he had this beautiful uh, palace that sat up on top of the cliff. And then these people from around the world would come to him and they'd say, I hate him. And the other group would go, I hate him. And they'd have these debates, and, and finally Tiberius would just throw them all off the cliff. Well, word got out, and for some reason, all the disputes just got settled. Uh, it was not a problem. Well, that's just kind of what it is that the, that the Jews and Samaritans are going back and forth, one group trying to be able to get his permission to wipe out the other group. And here's this enemy, Jesus, the Samaria. Samaria, you know, it's like if you think of a Neapolitan uh, sandwich. Uh, there's Galilee up here, Samaria, and then there's Judea. There were the three. There were two ways for the Jews to get from Galilee down to Jerusalem. One was by going through Samaria, which is the direct, most direct route. And the other was they had to cross over the Jordan, go down that side of the Jordan, and then back up that Jericho and back up uh, to Jerusalem as well. So if you were going through Samaria, it's kind of like you were taking the shortcut, but you knew that you were going to run into these Samaritans and they were going to probably hate you. Well, Jesus shows up at a well, and he is too tired, he's exhausted, and his disciples are going to go into the town to buy food. And he's there at noontime. And here comes the Samaritan woman. Now, there were two times that women would go to the well to get water. But Sylvia and I have actually been at this well. It's there. It's, it's been drilled like 90 feet down, and nobody knows how they did it because it's perfectly honed in the rock. It was dug by Jacob way back in the Old Testament. And it's, the water is just exquisitely cool, delicious. Well, she comes at noon. The women came to the well at, in the morning, and they came in the evening, but they didn't come at noontime. Why do you suppose she would come at noon if all the women came at different times. Because she was the bad woman. She was the one who was after everybody's husband. She'd had five of them, and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. And Jesus does something that she didn't expect. He talks to her. Now, as simple as it sounds, so-called evangelism, evangelizing, confessing the faith, begins always with talking to people. How many times have you found yourself, somebody says something to you, and you just kind of go, yeah, and you just walk away? I remember one time, I was coming out of the hospital. 
back in Norwalk, Connecticut, um, we had so many people in the congregation that were in, that would go into the hospital, but they'd never tell you. And of course, then they always get mad at you for not calling on. I mean, you know how that works. Well, I, so I would just go to the hospital and, and read through all the names. And there they were, Mastro Pietro. They would have these huge Italian uh, Greek names. But I was coming out, and this lady was just, she was just dragging like this, and she was carrying two bags. And I said, can I help you? She said, oh, thank you very much. I carried bags. I said, what's the matter? Well, my husband is sick. He's in the hospital. He's probably going to die. I said, I'm very sorry. I said, I, I am, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I said, have you ever had a church? She said, yeah. I said, what church did you have? Well, I was raised as a Missouri Synod Lutheran. <laughs> I said, well, it just so happens that <laughs> um, we developed a relationship, and I went out to her house, and we called on her. We talked about the faith. And eventually, her husband died. I didn't do the funeral for him because he wasn't a, a believer. But you just it's amazing how it is that God just kind of opens up doors when you talk to people. In particular, where there are barriers. Barriers usually mean that the person that you really don't want to talk to is the person who probably is on the other side of that fence because they're bad because they're wrong, because they've made a mess out of their life, whatever it might be. Now, I use this as an excuse, and I don't want all of our young people here today to use what your pastor says as a way of being able to justify what you do in college. <laughs> but I would tell my, I would come home at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, and my mother would say, where have you been? This is after I had been to college and I came home at the weekends and they're still mothers, right? Where have you been? I've been up all night. I said, Mom, I, I got to tell you, I went to a party and we started drinking and you'd be surprised what a wonderful theological conversation I had. <laughs> and the fact of the matter was, it's I did. Do you know how many people out there, maybe even after a couple of beers, are able to open up their hearts and maybe explain what it is that's really wrong with them. I used to go in Sandy, Utah. I would always drive to church up a certain way and through a neighborhood to the church. And every single Sunday, this guy backed his Cadillac out of his garage. He was there in his shorts, muscle shirts, washing his Cadillac and then he would drive it back into the garage. And I don't think he, he drove it all week long. <laughs> every Sunday, he backed that thing. And every time that I drove by, I looked at that guy and I thought, what a jerk. <laughs> right in front of all the people going to church, even the Mormons. I, what a, I mean, just material. I mean, you just, you just felt as though there was egotism there. All of a sudden, one night, I got a telephone call. Could you come over and talk to me? I see you driving by on your way to church. I went and visited with him. He was a broken man. He was filled with doubt and sin and adulteries, and he was a policeman. 
And he, of course, lived the policeman's life, and he had had issues and relationships and was trying to keep his marriage together, but he was still all messed up, and he had been divorced once, and he was married to another woman who was 20 years younger, and he wasn't. And guess what? He had the same birthday as I did. <laughs> no, the most important thing of all was I confessed the faith to him, and he was baptized and became a member of the congregation. You would just be surprised. And Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. Now he says, could you give me a drink? Well, she's wondering about, why is this? You can't draw any water here. Of course you're going to ask me for a drink. He said, well, you know, speaking of drinks, if you knew who was talking to you, he would ask him for a drink too. He would ask him for spiritual water. Now, when I, when I was, a, I was a, uh, what we call a beach minister, um, I got to the seminary. I was the last student accepted to the Springfield Seminary uh, three days before the, the, uh, the, semester, the last semester of the Springfield Seminary began. They moved, that summer, they moved to Fort Wayne. So I have the honor of going to the same seminary that my great-grandfather attended. And I was the last guy three days before. Um, so that gave me, meant I had a summer. I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have a job. And I saw in the, in the paper, it said, looking for somebody who would serve as a beach minister in Galveston, Texas. I said, beach, Galveston. I'll go. Send me. I got down there, and they said, yeah, you have to go down on the beach and witness to people. It took me four days before I could walk down on the beach. I was so scared. And I waited until they had a rainstorm. And then I went down on the beach. <laughs> there was one guy on the whole beach. So I said, I suppose I'm supposed to go talk to this guy. He was playing frisbee with his dog. Four hours later, we ended our conversation. And he was Jewish, and he said, can you prove to me from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah? I said, I've only had one semester at the seminary. What are you talking about? This is crazy. Well, that, that, kind, of, that kind of broke the ice. And from that point onward, I began to realize there were people down on that beach, and many of them came down to the beach because they were struggling with issues. Big time. They, in other words, where, where would you go to maybe find, find some peace, right? And so as you went down the beach and you would talk to people, I would say, well, how do I kind of break in, you know? Don't you remember how it is that if, if, you, if you were, you know, when I used to ask Al Mueller, I was, I was just a junior kid in college and I didn't know how to talk to girls. And so we'd go out and maybe have a beer someplace and I, I didn't know how to, Talk to, I say, Al, what do I say? He says, um, say, do you come here often? <laughs> I came to realize that that was the universal pickup line for every nerd that ever in, <laughs> was in a bar. Uh, what do you say to people on the, on the beach? You know, when you walk up to them and they're just sitting on the beach. Well, I, I've made some buttons, a sun, wind, and water in Galveston, Texas. And I would say, I'm handing out some buttons here, sun, wind, and water. Would you like me to tell you what that means? So we talked about the sun, God's sun, 
and what Jesus has done. Wind is the Holy Spirit, and the water is the water of baptism. And that just kind of became a way of being able to introduce myself to their faith. And it was, you know, you don't know, you sow those seeds and you don't know where people go and what they do with it. But there, Jesus uses a metaphor. Water. I've got some water for you. Later on, he'll talk about food. But sometimes metaphors work. All right. Well, at this point, the woman says, give me some of this. And Jesus says very affectionately, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And now he does something that we probably are not capable of doing. He says, well, he in his infinite knowledge, yes, uh, the man you have had five and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Well, now she, see, she perceives he's a prophet. And there is a bit of a turn. But what she does is she does a typical distraction thing where she then turns and says, you know, uh, are you greater than our father, Jacob, uh, who worshiped, who dug this well, worshiped on this mountain? You know, are the Samaritans, are you trying to tell us that the Jews are any better than the Samaritans? Now, Almost always, when you have a confession, when you talk to somebody about their faith, and I, I say this, guys and girls, when you are dating somebody, when you're in college or you're out of college, whatever it might be, there's always going to be that conversation. What do you believe? What do I believe? And generally, the way to make peace, supposedly, is to say, well, it's all the same God. So, if it's all the same God, you eat Kellogg's cereal, I eat raisin, well, I don't know, whatever, what's the other one? Um, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, you get your car wash at, you know, this one, I get my car wash at that one, and that's all the same. And that's the way it seems to make peace, right? That every, and, then, and then you always hear people who say, I was raised Catholic, I was raised Baptist, well, Hey, Lutherans, we're right in this middle. You can both give up your sides and come to us. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't allow that conversation. Yet at the same time, it isn't like he's saying, you know, unless you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran, you're not going to heaven. Jesus starts off by saying, you Samaritans worship what you don't know we worship, the Jews worship what they do know for salvation is from the Jews. That caretaking of the scriptures, the caretaking of the messianic hope, the caretaking of the worship that takes place in Jerusalem, that belonged to God. And the Samaritans didn't have it. They were half Samaritans. They were ELCA Lutherans. <laughs> no. But then Jesus turns around and he says, look, the day is coming and is here now when those who worship the Father will worship in spirit and in truth. Those are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. You know what that means? On the one hand, it means those who are saved are not inside of this little club. 
We don't say, and nobody has ever said, I hope, that you have to be Missouri Synod Lutheran to go to heaven. Right? I, you know, everybody has always had, every pastor probably has had this experience. You get up and you preach a sermon and you talk about this wonderful grace of God and how the Word of God, wherever it goes, it creates faith. And there, are, you know, it's Solzhenitsyn who's out in a, in a concentration camp out in Russia and he, he reads a little piece of the scripture and he becomes a Christian overnight. You go, wow, he wasn't a Missouri St. Lutheran. Well, he didn't go to heaven. Um, but you preach about that and then there's somebody who visits or whatever and comes out and you're shaking hands and they go, I have never in my life ever heard such a terrible sermon. Why? You say you think you're the only ones going to heaven. And you go, I didn't say that. <laughs> Please, those who worship the Father, the kind, they worship in spirit and in truth. And what does that mean? It means that, first of all, truth has to do with the fact that what you're saying, what you're believing, what you're teaching is true, that that's what the scriptures teach. But the Spirit also is more than that. It's the gospel and faith. It is wherever that gospel is heard, the free forgiveness of sins in Christ, that there in the, at the cross, Christ paid for your sins. He died for you. That where that is, their faith grabs on. That's the worship that he seeks. And that worship that day was given to that Samaritan woman. And she didn't become Jewish. That woman gets a gift. And I guess we can end. Uh, that clock looks a little slow, but I'll go by that clock instead of this one. <laughs> that woman was given a gift. Jesus never, in all of the New Testament, speaks so clearly about who he is. I am there are other ways that he reveals himself for who he is but he never ever ever says that he says I am he I'm the Messiah when the Messiah comes the prelude to that is when the Messiah comes he'll, he'll teach us everything he'll bring us into all truth I am he and you know what she does she turns around and she goes back out to her village where all those women are probably sneering at her and all the men are probably or whatever it is that the men might do or might not do, and she begins to witness. Come and see. Come and listen. This is not difficult. This is not difficult evangelism. You got friends? It's wonderful if you tell them what the gospel is, if you tell them about Christ, if you tell them about forgiveness, if you empathize with them, if you listen to them, if you talk to them, if you give parallels, if you point them to the need for a Savior. That's all really great. But you can do this. Come and listen. Come and see. This church will only grow if you are the ones who tell people to come. It isn't... Pastors are here to, to, to catch things. The pastors are their own evangelists. But when you guys do it, this is what makes the church grow. And that's something that is a gift, a gift to the world in which we're living right now. Because that gospel is getting to be a smaller and smaller light and not many people know what it is. Remember what it is. That in Christ, there is total and complete, not just forgiveness, but his righteousness becomes ours. 
so that when we stand before God, God doesn't see us in our sins. He sees Christ. He sees Christ alone. And there is eternal life in that. Just think about what that means. Forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. Eternity has no end. I, I will just part. Um, you're going to hear from me some things that I have been, I've been fascinated lately with Einstein. If you, if you, if you understand even, I, I mean, you, I just feel like a, like a baby who is in Germany trying to understand German. I mean, it, it's all how Einstein is up there. But Einstein says everything, everything came out of light. Light is the essence out of which all things exist. And Einstein knew there's nothing that comes about by chance. Einstein once said, he said, for these evolutionists, he said, he called, he called this, he said, chaos or chance is the God, is the God of the gaps, he called it. That when we, when we can't come up with, a, with any sort of an understanding about who made us or why we're here, we just say, well, it came about by chance. You know, just throw in a couple billion years and that's how we got here. That's not the case. There's order, there's structure, there's unity. The miracle of our existence goes vastly beyond anything we could possibly begin to comprehend. He said, reality used to be defined by what we saw. Now reality is defined by what we don't see the invisible. We are going to spend eternity in the presence of God. And you don't forget that even when you're playing baseball, okay? <laughs> Promise me. And you're not going to date until you're 42. You understand that? <laughs> you you got to feel protective, Mr. <laughs> Pastor. All right. Well, anyway, evangelism. That's what we're going to try to do down there. Try to do the best that we can. Uh, we ask for your prayers, and we are very thankful to be able to have this opportunity to talk to you now. Um, Pastor, do you want to conclude us with a prayer? Okay. Lord God, Heavenly Father, by your infinite grace and mercy, you have granted us the privilege of being able to know you and to know the gospel that speaks of our eternal life and salvation from the beginning of the world, from the time of Adam and Eve and their fall into sin, you have been the promised one who we have waited for for thousands of years. And now in you, the light has shone forth into this world and tells us that we now have a gracious God who has not left us in death, but has now given us a passageway through which we can travel into that eternal life that now awaits us. Help us to remember that we too are witnesses of you and give us the courage to know that we can speak of you to the world and to the people who need to know you so very badly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.